And good day, ladies and gentlemen. I am the producer of Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Hope everyone is having a great day. We're uh, here again for another fabulous show of Voices of Experience with Paul. And we're going to travel back down to Palm Springs where Paul is and see how things are going this week. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Benny. Thank you very much. Uh, We are entering our 13th week down here. We expected to have about a four-week stay, but then everything broke loose, so we decided to stay down here during the time. So again, we're entering our 13th week of captivity. Um, What has changed down here are that some of the golf courses are reopening slowly. That's the good news. Bad news is that the weather is now in the hundreds. It's like 105 or 106 degrees during the day. Wow. So yeah. I don't know how many golfers are going to get out there, but nonetheless, that is occurring. Um, you know, just to keep in mind, I guess, about an area like this versus Seattle, and I've gotten to know this community better, is that you really look at the hardship that this place is going to go through because the sweet spot for the Palm Springs area are about three months, February, March, and April. Mm-hmm. Maybe some a little shoulder season in May and January, but they make about 70% of their income I believe, during the year, during those 90 days. And this is just when it hit. And there were two concerts that were going to come to the Coachella Valley. One is a Coachella Valley concert, and the other is a stagecoach. And that's a country uh, festival, country music festival. And those two combined shows, festivals, Mm -hmm. brought 250,000 people to town. And you are completely devastated, I'm sure. Yes. I knew it, especially, especially with Coachella. I know you're a huge fan. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, stagecoach, I could pass on. But um, yeah, okay. Coachella, even that, I wouldn't even go. I don't know, know, man. You and the wifey, you and the wifey could maybe hit it up. Try new things, right? Amongst all Okay. This. There you you're go. right. That's a good thought for the day. All Try right. new things. There you because go. Because we're probably having <laughs> to do that a lot going forward. Um, but anyhow, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, uh, very interesting times. I guess that's one way to put it. And we also had our first Palm Springs protest downtown Ooh. about two miles away yesterday about opening up, you know, the businesses that sure. have been happening in Olympia and a lot of other places across the country. Palm Springs got theirs yesterday. I didn't go to it, but I read about it this morning. I understand it was uh, quite big. Yeah. Well, it's going to be talk of the week because, you know, in our state, uh, things are supposed to be lifted on May 4th, and we haven't really gotten a definite answer on that either. So... Ah, okay. I was going to ask you about that because uh, wondering what the status of that was. You know, um, one thing I wanted to discuss briefly on this, and everybody has an opinion, and um, I've been thinking about a few things, and there's one head scratcher for me as to how this is all being handled. And again, we all have opinions. But for example, here in Palm Springs, and I don't know if this is the same in the state of Washington, and I'll ask you that. And that is that when we're driving in our car, it's mandatory that we are supposed to wear a mask while we're driving. And uh, that's while, me. While driving? Yeah, while driving. Interesting, because okay. I kind of yeah. laugh at people that are wearing them in their car just because you're in your car usually alone or with someone you know. If not, if someone you don't know, then that would be different. But Exactly. Okay. If you pick someone up or you're, you know, whatever, be, from the hospital, yes, gotcha. I get that. Okay. And so half the people I see are doing it, half are not. Now, I know we're talking about different jurisdictions here, and Mm -hmm. there's so much involved in this, but over the weekend, I saw a photograph, 
And it was uh, a flight that was taking off from Miami, Florida to LaGuardia Airport in New York, the epicenter. And someone snapped a picture of the interior cabin. Mm -hmm. And you could see, number one, it was packed. You know, there was no so, uh, spacing in between the seats like Alaska Airlines It looked does. like a normal flight. Normal flight. Half the people were wearing masks and half the people weren't. Wow. And I'm going, okay, man. there's a tale of two cities here, sure. a tale of two approaches. Mm -hmm. Wearing a mask in your car if you're driving by yourself and still getting on a flight and half of the people there are not wearing masks I assume that if you were going to be flying now, that you'd be wearing a mask. I mean, TSA wouldn't let you through. Uh, yeah. So that's where I scratch my head. And I start to think about, are we going to get through this? Well, from what I'm seeing and how we're approaching it through many other areas, my conclusion is that we're going to be in for a long slog going forward yeah. because of things like this. Sure. I did a check, you know, on the border between British Columbia and Washington, the borders are closed, right? To traffic, you can't go in and out. However, there were six flights from Vancouver to Seattle today. Hmm. So are these people wearing masks? I think Canada, it is mandatory, but that's what I'm just saying. I don't wanna belabor this point, but it goes to the heart of the matter. And one state, you can do it by the state. It doesn't have to be um, FAA approved. The governor of the state of Hawaii, a month ago said that anybody coming in to Hawaii had to go incubation mm -hmm. into incubation for 14 days. And that meant food and everything not going out before they go out and then get tested. Right. Well, of course that really cut down the number of people visiting, sure. but I checked some statistics. And when that went into effect in late March, there were about 24 cases a day in Hawaii. Yesterday there were zero. Wow. So all I'm saying is I don't know how you can do all these things and put into place and still have these planes flying all over the place. I'll leave this in just a moment, but I woke up this morning and from Forbes magazine that the flight attendants are saying domestic air flights should shut down yeah. because of just the things I've been outlining here. There are 250 cases of flight attendants getting the, the virus right. and they're about ready to walk. Yeah. So anyhow, that's just something uh, I'll call it my head scratcher of mm -hmm. the day, you know, as to why, um, you know, how we're going to approach this thing and how people have done it and how we're not committed to just shutting this down. For example, New Zealand said at the beginning that, you know, we don't want to bend the curve. We're going to crush it. Right. And that's what they're doing. So anyhow, that I got off my chest. I uh, just wanted to talk about that just a little bit. And um would like to get others' people's opinion on this. If they want to call in to the show and leave a message, they can call 425-653-1166. Um, and leave their thoughts about how they're thinking we're handling it. Uh, now we're just going to get to a poll that uh, Stu Elway, who's been doing this entire life, it's called the Crosscut Elway Poll. And... It just is hot off the press, literally. He just completed it last week. Yep. And it's how Washingtonians are looking at how our state is mm -hmm. handling the virus. Some amazing and it, numbers and percentages that he, he's going to give. Yeah. And, you know, one of them, uh, Benny, is the fact that 76% uh, of the voters in the state of Washington 
believe that the restrictions are a good thing. Mm -hmm. And 61% are saying they are concerned about the lifting of the uh, restrictions too soon. Pretty remarkable uh, results, I think. Mm -hmm. And it really, for the first time, really didn't look at the regions like urban versus rural. The rural was also coming on board with the restrictions. So we're going to talk to Stu about that in just a few moments. And um, why don't we just get to it? Um, I asked Stu, my first question to him, is what he thought the workspace may look like going forward. So what will happen, I think, is that people will, it'll be more, the, the work schedule will be more flexible. It's not like, okay, we're going to send 40% of our workers home now. And we're just not going to, that's it. They're going to work from home. I think it's going to be more like you can work from home on a project or a couple of days a week or something like that. And then the office space becomes more sort of shared. Hey, this isn't, this isn't Jane Smith's office. This is the office for, you know, five people who work at home and this is where they can park when they come into the office. So I think that, that those sorts of things might change. That, as you pointed out, is just a huge difference, I mean, in how we've been doing business. I mean, that the implications well, yeah. of that will be tremendous. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you play it out, and one of them is uh, empty office space downtown. Yeah. We just find out, too, we don't need this much office space, and that's an overhead hit for us. So uh, let's buy everybody a laptop instead. Right. Yeah, and, and you certainly too, Zoom about, has taken Zoomed off. Yes, well. it has. Yeah, there's some uh, probably some stocks to be looking at in that in that connection too. I you know I'm actually surprised that it took this long to get here. It took something like this. I mean, you mentioned before we got on the air, and certainly I'm an example too. We've been working out of our house for a long time. A lot of that is because the commute and all the expense and everything involved with that, and that's something I've been doing for like 30 years. So. It's not, you know, that big a deal, as you said to me. Uh, and in the West Seattle situation, uh, I, I live there. And, um, you know, I'd certainly be panicking now if I was commuting downtown every day. But I look at it and go, hey, somebody wrote me yesterday about their attitude about what's happening. He said, well, we'll just have more uh, of the beach this summer, Alki Beach, to hang around in. You know, because in the summer, <laughs> yeah. we're inundated, you know. And so now yeah. it's going to be like there's right. some... People thinking Our own that private way. beach. Yes. Right. A right. lot more along those lines. Right. So I go, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. You know, we had some other questions in the poll that related to uh, the whole business uh, thing, too. And that is, we asked people about various aspects of the relief package uh, that Congress has been dealing with. You know, I guess they're on number four now. I sort of lost track. So we asked people what should be a high priority for the next federal relief package, where should the money go? And the highest priority was 92% said it should go to small businesses that were have been forced to close during this uh, pandemic. Um, and then next after that was healthcare facilities at 84%. And then 84% also said individuals who lost jobs or time at work, in addition to the $1,200. So those three had almost universal um, 
uh, number saying that these should be a high priority. And at the other end, uh, only 15% said a high priority should go to large companies like airlines and oil companies. 33% said large companies should get no money out of the next package. That was the highest number by far for people who said no money. So this idea that we really do have to help these small businesses is very strong. You know, it jumps out at me there just off topic a little bit, but you know, I saw a speech by somebody, we were using the 92% number. And that to me says that nine out of 10 people basically are really empathetic and they understand what should be done. Of course, maybe that's my way I think. But it's the same thing like, and I'm not going to veer off on this too long, but over 90% of the people support gun control too. But these things just don't seem to get modified or changed. As I'm looking at these numbers, the largest disconnect, and, and granted this is just one state, but it, it, it's similar to, I'm looking at polls all over, and, and it's similar to national and, and many other states, but there's, a, there's quite a disconnect between what the public opinion is about this and what happens in Congress. And granted, this is Washington and you know, we're a pretty deep blue state and, and Republicans control the Senate and, and presidency. And so, you know, you'd expect that, but it's really quite a goal. I mean, the, the uh, uh, Republicans in Congress were trying to keep money for healthcare facilities out of the package. And yet 84% of the people in this state think that should be the highest priority. So that's a pretty broad disconnect. And that, that may be, we, we talked earlier about what might change in politics and somehow that sort of thing may change. I don't know. Uh, again, I, you know, it's hard to be too optimistic about breaking the political logjam, but but the, you know, this pandemic is going to transform our society in, in ways that we don't imagine yet. And I, I don't think it can help but transform our politics somehow. I uh, just, we don't know how, but things are just going to be different. Well, you know, more regional, let's say the West Coast, we're out here, I mean, it's been this way for a while, but Washington, Oregon, and California, we're kind of in sync, you know, with the numbers of people who hold statewide office who are Democrats and things were kind of have unison there. And it's like more power to the states, maybe, and maybe regional power. Um, one thing that I guess I get frustrated at because uh, sitting here in California, looking at what Washington's doing and what California's doing, but what South Korea did as far as the testing, and we're still talking to me, or my thought is that we're still talking, well, we need to get testing. And I've been reading that since February. And now we're oh, yeah. heading into May. And we're still going, well, we just don't have enough to do and do this correct. And I know Governor Inslee is uh, spearheading this now. But I'm yeah. wondering, like, we were waiting for the federal government to do something. You know, why, you know, uh, maybe Governor Inslee just didn't call the health center or whomever in South Korea and said, hey, send us $3 million and we'll send you some apples, you know, in a trade. We'll just do well, this on our own. You know, you wouldn't have thought that that was necessary. I think it took a while for it to sink in to the to the governors that that's really how it was going to be. And this, I, because that wouldn't have been the case in 
probably any other president. And, and this idea that, that the states are competing with each other for PPEs and ventilators and, and, and things that they need, they're, they're bidding against each other, driving the prices up. Uh, just seems nuts. Yeah, it's a pretty low moment. That. Yeah, you didn't have that in, in South Korea or Germany or uh, other places where they've, you know, done a good job. They've coordinated a national effort. Granted, they're smaller countries and all of that, but you know, you the, the governor has to go on eBay to find some some masks <laughs> for the healthcare uh, workers. Yeah, well, th again, I think that exposed also to how horrible our healthcare system is. This well, pandemic think, yeah. did do that, and maybe that will finally boost that, the. That could be, the, the, yes. I mean, when, when things uh, settle down, whatever that means, that could be the real um, opportunity to make some, some changes. Because I was just reading a piece about uh, European for looking at the US now and thinking, well, any time before this last administration, the world would have been looking to the United States for leadership. And now they're not, they're just not. So, uh, you know, they're not gonna be even a player, let alone a leader. But one of the things that's been uh, surprising to the uh, other countries is the lack, uh, the, the, the lack of a, a healthcare safety net in this country. How, how, I guess they didn't realize how disorganized and, and uh, uncoordinated it really is. And then this has really exposed that. Yeah, you say the frontline workers, all the people, you know, working in the hospitals and putting themselves at risk and all the above, this pandemic has certainly exposed so much of that that we've been sweeping under the carpet for a very long time. And it was bound to catch yeah. up with us. Do you have uh, any other polls coming up in the near term that you're going to be well, uh, exploring? We'll do another one of these probably and uh, the schedule will be in July. So uh, we'll see where we are then. I think the July poll will be sort of a combination of looking, hopefully looking back at the pandemic shutdown, but also looking forward to the election. And you know what people's expectations are and most people public health officials think you know a second wave will be coming right so what what's that going to mean i mean it's going to be bad for football season but if, if we're going to be trying to conduct an election in the middle of a, of a another situation like this and maybe worse uh as some predict so yep. we'll do we'll do a poll in in july in tennessee what people think we may be in the eye of the hurricane in July. So it'll be right. interesting to get people's perspective then. Sure. Yeah. I imagine that is going to be another key time. I know you're extremely busy. You got a lot of things to do today to get out in the community. And is there anything that I missed that you would like to uh, say about the poll and, and what, where things are sitting now? No, I think we, we covered the, Good things, the, the key parts. I did note that uh, we, when we were talking earlier about the whole working from home, in our poll, 37% of the people who have jobs are 
now working from home. And 23%, 23% had reduced hours and 14% had been furloughed and 9% had lost their job entirely. So it, it, we didn't need a poll to know this, but it, it sort of quantifies the impact that this had on the, the workforce and the economy. And uh, still when you're driving in Seattle, it's been a little time since we've been there. I mean, are the streets still pretty empty in the freeways? Oh, yeah. I live, yeah, they are. I haven't been downtown, of course, but uh, in my, my neighborhood up on Finney Ridge, I can walk down the middle of Greenwood Avenue now for practically most, most of the time. It's just one car now and then. The, the buses are running on lower schedule, but I always look and there's maybe one person in the bus hmm. so there are cars going out there you see them but uh, and, and the the traffic reporters are you know they got a lot less to do why thanks to pollster Stu elway and uh, if you would like to read more about this subject you can visit crosscut.com that's c-r-o-s-s-c-u-t.com are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? Pre-Flight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's Pre-Flight Checklist. And welcome back to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. I'm the producer, Benny Mathers, and uh, we're going to charge right on back to Palm Springs with Paul Casey. And Paul, you know, uh, you've got this amazing uh, book that you've had out there, and uh, maybe we can give it a, get a little more information about that. How about a shameless plug? Yeah, that, that'll work. Okay, you know, I mean, this is the best book ever written on self-employment. Paul Casey said that. Oh, I also wrote it. Oh, that's you too. Um, yeah, it's called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? And uh, I wrote it because after being in business for about 10 or 12 years, I made a number of mistakes. So I started to think about how could I help someone else going into business avoid some of the mistakes that I made. But I wanted to write a book that didn't necessarily want to talk people into going into business for themselves or not. It's not that type of book going, rah, rah, you need to do this. Mm -hmm. What it is, is kind of an examination when you read the book and you're done with it, you would say, oh, I can do this. I can run my own business. Or you'll say, I can't do this. I, you know, this isn't for me. If I hear either people say either thing, like I want to run my business or I don't want to, based on reading this book, then I have succeeded. Because again, I'm not trying to talk you into it. It's just mm. a realistic view as to whether this is something you should go into right now. A lot of it could be timing. You know, it's just that not the right time for you to do it. You don't have the money. You're in a divorce. You're in a, personally in a difficult situation. You don't have a savings account. All things that will settle down for you. And you may at some point have resources to do this. So all I'm submitting is that timing is a lot of it. And one of the things I developed over the years, and this took me a long time to put this together, these questions, but there are 20 questions. And it asks you, like, for example, do you execute what you set out to do? Now, we're not talking about the type of business now to try to do at this time frame, but just on a personal level, and you can do an honest evaluation of yourself. 
again, when you're setting out to do things, do you execute? Or do you have all these projects that you have great ideas about and you just can't seem to get them done? Well, running your business is all about execution. There is no doubt about that. There's no wiggle room in that. Thomas Edison said, 1% is the idea of what you want to accomplish. 99% is the blood, sweat, and tears in making it happen. When you read the Thomas Edison story about the developing the light bulb, it's an incredible story of perseverance. That took him about five or six years and the trials and tribulations and the errors that he made going forward. So a guy like that, I would pay attention to, not necessarily me, but I grabbed that from Thomas Edison. So that's one of the questions on the quiz. Now, you don't have to buy the book. You can go to voicesofexperience.com and take the quiz. I highly suggest you do that before you go into business for yourself. The other thing I would like to advise is that you don't make a wildcat move right now. Let's say I can't dream of going back to my job after being in this situation we've been in because Stu did talk about a lot of people are going to redesign their lives. What I suggest you do is go back to what you're doing and maybe it'll become very apparent to you that this isn't for you and it'll come to you that way. But doing it now in this environment we're in, I think would uh, not be the way to go. So let me get back to execution just for a moment. If you say to yourself that, yeah, I'm pretty good at executing things and give yourself a high grade there. It's very important. If you don't, you can always get better at that. I'm much better than I used to be. I flagged that question because I was more of the type of having great ideas, but not getting anything done. Okay. That's why that question's there. It's kind of personal. A personality trait, and I asked this on the quiz, is being pragmatic. And that means just being realistic as to what you can do and accomplish. And can the business you're going into, is it going, is there a market out there? Right. You don't do this thing on a whim. I'm going to read a quote from Jeff Bezos. And I think this kind of goes to the heart of the matter. And he said, you don't choose your passions. Your passions choose you. Now, Jeff Bezos is a pretty big pragmatist. I mean, I don't think he grew up thinking, wow, I want to run this incredible Amazon company, this internet company that's going to sell books. But he saw an opportunity and he went for it. Right. He found a niche mm -hmm. and he solved a problem for people. He solved a problem of people that they didn't even know they had. He knew there was a market here, but it was a simple concept in many ways. And I'm going to repeat that again, because a lot of people say, follow your passion and the money will follow. I don't believe that. I've never had. And uh, he, again, I think is saying that somewhat when he says, you don't choose your passions. Your passions choose you. What it comes to you as you go along. If you have, and you're open, keep your eyes and ears open to opportunities and not have this set idea that you have, I think your prospects for success will be a lot greater. And so that was a long-winded way of getting through that. <laughs> But um, I think that's what Jeff Bezos was trying to and say. A, and a perfect way to wrap up the show for today with that quote. Amazing. Okay. Well, Benny, stay safe. And um, we'll be back in mid-May. And uh, we'll continue to do this from Palm Springs until then.